0: Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating world of spirits, books, movies, music, and anything that I feel connects us as humans. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm talking about the weather getting warmer. First of all, I want to say I uh, hope you guys had a happy and safe St. Patrick's Day this past weekend. And uh, yeah, now we're on to warmer Whether it's not dark out at 5 o'clock anymore, soon I'll be out in the yard on Sundays playing cornhole, grilling, hanging out with good people. Warm weather is on the way, and I know the winter was kind of mild with a few hiccups, but uh, hopefully all the snow is finally behind us and we can get on to to sunlight and drinking some good stuff. And that's what I'm doing this week. I'm going to start out by kind of doing a little comparative breakdown of really the hot category in the spirits world, which is the RTD, ready-to-drink category, and really the whole category is just kind of High Noon, Truly, and White Claw. That's the entire category. Uh, but I do a little comparative tasting because, to me, I don't know if it's worth it to pay more money for what these companies are trying to sell you, the consumer, as a more premium product, you know, the difference between a hard seltzer and a vodka soda and a vodka soda and a tequila soda, uh, and they're charging a lot of money, and I'm just going to do a little breakdown, a little taste test, and see, uh, see if it's really worth the extra dollars for the quote-unquote premium offerings, and then after I get past that, I'm going to be tasting a whole bunch of mezcals. Another sort of growing category in the spirits world. And it is easy to grow uh, when you're starting from a very small base. Uh, but mezcals are growing. And it's uh, you know it's a category that people are curious about. So I'm going to taste through a whole bunch of different mezcals. Uh, regular mezcal, Reposado mezcal, Añejo mezcal. Mezcals that have smoked agave. Mezcals that have unsmoked agave. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting... Uh, fun tasting all while rambling as I usually do about things that are on my brain. So hopefully you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, recording this one. This one was a lot of fun for me because when I sat down to record it, I really didn't have any sort of direction or script and I just kind of let it flow. And I feel like this is one of the more authentic, just me podcasts. Uh, So hopefully you guys dig it. Uh, And if you do, You guys know the drill by now. Go to the podcast page, click that follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media, follow on Facebook and Instagram, where you can leave comments and reviews about the podcast. You can also message me through both of those platforms, and for anything else, you can reach me at thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. All right, guys, enjoy. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. All right, here we are. Season 3, Episode 10, Spirits Guide Podcast. I don't know what we're calling this. Uh, Man, I'm all sorts of fired up. You know, I try not to script as much of this as possible. I try to get as much of me, honest, real, natural as possible. Yeah, there's a sound we don't hear much on the podcast. The cracking of a can. I really have no idea where this whole episode is going to go, so as of this time, I don't even have a name for it. Uh, we're just going to kind of go with what I am feeling right now. Uh, start up by thanking you guys, as always, for being here, for taking time out of your day uh, to listen to me rant and rabble, uh, ramble. <laughs> wow. That's that's how fired up I am right now, um, and I want to hope that uh, everybody had a great St. Patrick's Day, that it was, you know, you had a lot of fun. You were safe, responsible. uh, You had a good time. I actually got to spend it down at Glen Farmer Distillery. Yeah, two weeks in a row I was down there. Uh, They had a cool little Irish band. They were doing a release party for their rye whiskey, their first ever rye release. Uh, Not as glowing of a night as the Howie Day night was the week before, but still a very, very cool experience uh, with very cool people, you know, you know the stereotypical Irish folk band playing on St Patrick's Day. yada yada, yada it was it was a good time um, just not as exciting for me as Howie day was. Oh is that two can cracks we just heard? Um, so yeah, a, a lot you know besides that going on in the store we had that big snow day this week that kind of snowed us in and just you know the snow. Now that it's all melting, uh, and thankfully we're on our way to warm weather, has my brain thinking RTDs, and I I talk about this redundantly every week on the podcast of, you know, just somebody else jumping into the RTD arena, uh, which, you know, if this is the first time you're listening, RTD is an industry term for ready to drink, uh, and what qualifies as ready to drink. It's basically like a pre-made cocktail, so anything from like... uh The 1800 Margarita pre-made with the tequila already in it, those are ready-to-drinks. The On the Rocks, those are ready-to-drinks. High Noons, which are a pre-made vodka soda, those are considered to be ready-to-drinks. Just, you know, uh, Jameson & Coke, uh, the pre-made Bombay Sapphire & Tonic, the pre-made Jack & Cokes, the pre-made Crown Royal & Coke, all of those are considered ready-to-drink RTDs, and we are getting inundated with new ones every week. I talk about it here all the time on the podcast. It really does get redundant uh, for me to talk about, so I'm sure it gets redundant for you guys to hear. But really, the leader in the category is is High Noon. That is the RTD category. And High Noon is something that was born out of sort of the, (laughs) it's hard to to believe I'm going to say this, for a category that's really only been around for about five or six years and it's been meteoric growth but sort of the original sort of the OGs of this category are White Claw and Truly and those are the two biggest brands of hard seltzer that we know of Uh, and actually the one that started it all which was a brand called Spiked Seltzer uh, which is one of the greatest catastrophes and mismanaged businesses ever in the history of my industry Um, spiked seltzer was the first one that came up probably six years ago six seven years ago Uh, and it was a uh, pre-made quote-unquote vodka soda and I remember thinking like wow what a lazy thing to do you can't just buy vodka and soda water it's the easiest drink to make Uh, and I remember the first year I think we sold three cases and then the next year uh, as we were getting into summertime, I remember saying to my boss, like, hey, maybe we should order some of that Spike Seltzer again. Uh, people are going to be looking for it. I know it's a dumb category, but people will be looking for it. And then the year after that, it was Truly and it was White Claw and it was a bunch of other brands. And most of them have fallen by the wayside. But Truly and White Claw are kind of the kings of the hard seltzer category. And then later on, High Noon came out because they were going to be a vodka soda, because as we would all soon realize that the Truly Hard Seltzer and the White Claw Hard Seltzer and the Spike Seltzer, which then changed its name to Bon & Viv, before it vanished off the landscape completely, uh, they weren't actually made with vodka. They were a malt base. So the fine folks at Gallo created a product that they call High Noon. It's actually called High Noon Sun Sips, and they're made supposedly with Vodka. What does that mean? Well, they're trying to sell it as a more premium product because it's vodka and not malt. Uh, For the consumer, it means you're not paying a deposit because there's no deposit on hard spirits. And now everybody's kind of getting really, really opportunistic. And we're seeing, you know, we saw with Truly and White Claw both to have a Mix Pack 1, a Mix Pack 2, a Mix Pack 3. So White Claw has three different Mix Packs. Truly has a a citrus and then a berry and then another a tropical mix pack. Uh, And then there was a lemonade flavored seltzer and a fruit punch flavored seltzer and then Bud Light got in the game. And the whole category is just sort of crazy, you know, just insanity of the amount of different options we have. But when some of the dust settled, you know, High Noon was getting more money for their product than Truly was because they were quote unquote vodka based. And so then Truly and White Claw tried to capitalize on this trend by releasing their own versions of vodka soda to go alongside their uh, hard seltzers. Now I've talked about this in the past where they've also tried to create the vodka and there's a Truly flavored vodka out there and a White Claw flavored vodka out there. And they're just saturating the market and confusing customers, and I'm here to tell you guys that you guys are getting screwed on some of these products. Now maybe not my listeners, um, but maybe my listeners have some friends who are kind of you know, drinking a lot of these, and admittedly, I have come around full circle, I drink a, a lot of these, you know, Trulies, High Noons, Cantinas, not so much the High Noons, um, but being diabetic, You know, the low sugar content is what appeals to me. It's also got some carbonation. So, you know, when I'm out, you know, playing cornhole, hopefully soon on a Sunday afternoon and it's warm out, I really can't be out there having, you know, four or five beers because it will jack my sugars up. So I drink these. What I want to talk about kind of here is the sort of way that these companies are trying to manipulate the public into spending more money, and I'm here to show you that it's not worth the extra money you're going to spend, and here's what I mean by this. Right in front of me, I have a White Claw Black Cherry Hard Seltzer and a White Claw Vodka Soda Wild Cherry Flavored. Now, first of all, I don't know what the hell the difference is between Black Cherry and Wild Cherry. It's all kind of cherry to me. I can't imagine that in the White Claw flavor warehouse, they have two different sections of cherry flavoring, um, but apparently they do. Now, here's the big, you know, some of the big differences. Uh, One is made with vodka. One is made with malt. The White Claw eight packs of the vodka soda, the eight packs are $18.99. The 12 packs of the hard seltzer are $17.99. The six packs of the hard seltzer are $10.99. The four packs of the vodka seltzer are also $10.99. So I don't know if you pick up on that, but basically if you're going to spend $19, you can either get eight vodka sodas or 12 hard seltzers. Now I know on the surface, the pitch, the marketing manipulation is that the vodka is going to be better because it's made with vodka and not with malt. I, I, what I'm about to do is taste test the two of them side by side and tell you if you should spend the same amount of money to get four less (laughs) or if it's worth it to spend the same amount of money and get four more. All right. White claw, black cherry, which by the way, is their number one selling skew. I don't, I don't get it. Um, but apparently people out there love, love their black cherry So here we go Now, not great uh, I just don't like that flavor But all right, let's look at the nutritional uh, Wow, 20 milligrams of sodium Two grams of carbs That's the big one uh, Two grams of total sugar Which includes two grams of added sugar it tastes like black cherry, which, again, is not necessarily a flavor I particularly care for, um, but that's what it tastes like. Now, here's the other difference. The vodka soda does not look like it has nutritional info on it. So while it's made with vodka, oh, there we go up top. Gluten-free, 100 calories, real fruit juice, uh, no added sugar. People, as a diabetic, you've got to learn that when it says no added sugar on the label, that doesn't mean that there's no sugar in it. it. just means they didn't add any more sugar to it. So there's no nutritional facts on the vodka soda. And typically, what I have learned, kind of being in the industry, is you know, you don't have to put the nutritional facts on there. And until they make it a law that you do, you will for marketing purposes and you won't to save yourself in marketing purposes. The wild cherry doesn't have any nutritional facts on there. What that tells me, there's probably more carbs in the vodka soda than there is in the hard seltzer. I mean, there's, what does it say, 100? Definitely says real fruit juice, which also is loose for uh, real sugar. They're both 100 calories, and they're both 4.5% alcohol. So let's see if this tastes like it's vodka-based instead of malt-based. Now, the base spirit doesn't taste any different. There's nothing there where I'm like, oh, that's definitely vodka. The cherry flavor is slightly different. And it's a little bit more tart. So maybe a wild cherry is a little bit different than a black cherry. But I don't see from a taste perspective. Now, if there's some sort of health issue you have, you're allergic to that malt base. I've seen that. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I can't confirm if that's an actual thing or not. But I've had people tell me that they react to the malt. They don't like the malt base. That's fine you can use the vodka and I get that vodka might be a little bit more expensive than say malt spirit but from a purely taste if you're just looking for flavor there's no need to buy the vodka sodas spend the same amount of money get four more of the same exact flavor you know the only way that I, I've seen that they're differentiating, and, and Sam Adams, their vodka sodas, uh, which are, you know, the Truly brand vodka soda, their flavors are so bizarre, and they're, they're dual fruits. At least the White Claws are, you know, their are pineapple, or they're cherry, or whatever. They're singular flavors. But the Truly, they're like blackberry, lemon, and they're weird sort of flavor combinations, which... And I can't confirm this, but I've heard rumors that those flavors were done to cover up the taste of the vodka. And by the way, the Truly 8-packs of the vodka soda are the same exact price as the Truly 12-packs of the hard seltzer. So what I'm doing here with the White Claw applies to the Truly. And I've had the Truly vodka sodas, and in my opinion, they're disgusting, Uh, but also... When you get them ice cold and you're out drinking them, you know, on the beach or out in the yard playing cornhole or whatever, the colder they are, the less those flavors are going to matter anyways, because you're going to mute a lot of those flavors. Yeah, I, I just don't see. I don't see why you should pay the same amount, but get four less. There's no difference really in the drinkability or the flavor between the vodka base and the malt base. And that brings us. So the sort of the next new trend that they're trying to cram down our throats, which is the tequila soda trend uh, known in Texas and out in the Southwest as ranch water. This is a concept that they've been trying to push on us for a little while. Um, Wow, time flies by. So what I've got here is even better pound for pound. I have the high noon. Lime Vodka Soda and the brand new, just released this past week, High Noon Tequila Soda Lime Flavor. Again, here's the price difference. A High Noon 8-pack of vodka soda is $18.99. Let me loop that back around because you can get 12 Trulies or White Claws or most any other hard seltzer for that price But when you're buying high noon, you're getting four less for the same exact price. And really, it doesn't taste much different than the hard seltzer. So if you want volume for value, go with the 12 packs of the Truly or the White Claw. Uh, But the high noon tequila seltzer, the eight pack, is $20.99. So it's $2 more for the tequila as opposed to the vodka. And I haven't had the tequila one yet. So I'm going to do a a side-by-side here to kind of see... Is it worth it to spend two more dollars? I honestly don't think tequila soda in the Northeast is that big of a deal. You know, I get in the Southwest. People love it. Here's my thing. If this actually tastes like tequila, I don't think a lot of people are going to drink it. Because if you're drinking really good tequila, it's for a more sophisticated palate, not for a crushing palate. And that being said, to get the volume of tequila that they need to put in these high noons, how good of a quality of tequila is it? And are they going to use the flavor to mask the tequila flavor? All right. High noon lime vodka soda. You know, tart lime. It tastes like if I poured Smirnoff into a lime flavored polar seltzer. Hey, there's a novel idea. Actually making vodka soda. (laughs) Honestly, for what you're paying for a 12 pack of high noon, you can buy a handle of Smirnoff, which I promise you is a better quality vodka than what they're putting in the high noon. And you can make, my God, you can make 60 vodka sodas off of that handle as opposed to eight. I don't know. You do the math. Uh, All right. Tequila, seltzer, lime flavor. The cans don't look that different. You know, at least with the white claw, they really differentiated between the vodka soda and the hard seltzer. The high noon, you know, the band that wraps around the top that encompasses the sun on the the vodka soda is blue in the background, and the tequila seltzer is green in the background. Let's try this. All right. I'm proved wrong. Because it does have some tequila flavor to it. hmm I stand corrected. It does taste like tequila. It doesn't taste like great tequila, but there's something there that actually tastes like tequila. That being said, is it worth spending two more dollars I don't think so. I think in the end, if this is the kind of thing you're into, maybe the tequila soda. I, I think it's too expensive. But again, tequila does cost a little bit more. Wow. i am gonna be honest that that kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. That is. Uh, it's actually not bad. I would be curious to taste the other flavors. I've heard from other people that the passion fruit tastes exactly like the passion fruit high noon, um, but at least the lime. There is something definitely there that differentiates it from the lime vodka soda. Yeah, it's almost got like a weird little, almost margarita-ish kind of taste to it. Good. But I think, again, I would just buy some, some decent, you know, silver tequila for that price. I mean, for... 21 bucks you'd pony up a couple more dollars, uh, get yourself a bottle of Milagro silver or something like an Espanita and make my own tequila sodas and make a whole lot more of them than eight. But for portability, if you like tequila uh, and that's the thing is it actually has some tequila flavor. So I don't know how many people will like that, but whatever they've done to it, they've also made it taste a little margarita ish. So they might be able to get away with the lime one, uh, Stay tuned because I will further be reviewing other flavors of that. Wow. All right. I just rambled a lot. Usually I start by rambling and then get into the drinking. This time I started drinking first. Uh, Let's get into some news and notes of the week. Not a lot to cover here, but uh, some stuff I definitely want to get out. Uh, The big banking crisis, uh, SVG, Silicon Valley Group. This is a bank out in the West Coast, which has collapsed recently and that is going to have an effect on the wine business. Uh, it didn't collapse because of the wine business, but there are $1 billion worth of outstanding loans to the wine industry out in California uh, that are outstanding to this bank. So they're out a billion dollars. Uh, most of what caused this bank to collapse are you know, uh, tech investors and uh, venture capitalists uh, who used that bank as well? Who, in this sort of market scare, were starting to pull all their money out. Uh, and that caused it to collapse, which has then caused other banks to kind of collapse and have issues in this country and around the world. Bottom line, uh, right now, the wine industry was not looking great as it was. And while they are not a cause of this, this is not helping the cause of the wine industry in California. Uh, Guinness announcing that they're building a brewery in Chicago. They already have one, I think, in Baltimore. Uh, So if you're going to be traveling to a Cubs game uh, in the future, there will be an actual Guinness brewery in the Chicago area. Uh, Vodka uh, reporting that they're looking to grow the category again. Uh, Unfortunately, they've lost so much to these high noons and white claws and trulys. I don't know that vodka will ever come back. Here's the thing. I was looking at the the stats and, you know, vodka by definition, and they changed this, I know, a year or two ago where they kind of changed the guidelines. But up until a couple of years ago, the legal definition of vodka was an odorless, colorless, and tasteless uh, spirit. So if you have a spirit that is not supposed to have any taste by definition, why do you need a whole variety of vodkas? You know, I know at one point uh, the market was flooded with, you know, sort of boutique vodkas, but it really has condensed down to the same basic 10 uh, with Tito's being the number one selling vodka by a ton 11 and a half million cases, up five percent. Smirnoff, the number two vodka, at 8.7 million cases. And that's with them being down 2%, New Amsterdam is the number three vodka in the U.S. at 5.3 million cases. So Tito's at number one at 11.5 million, New Amsterdam at number three at 5.5 million. That's a huge disparity. Uh, by the way, uh, topped out with Svetka is number four, Absolute is number five, Grey Goose is number six, And Kettle One is the number seven selling vodka in the U.S., with the disparity between one and ten is massive. I don't know that that category is ever coming back, and they can't rely on flavored vodka numbers anymore uh, because flavored vodkas are dead due to White Claw and Truly and High Noon and things like that. Uh, other cool thing for my gin friends out there, Hendrix does this sort of seasonal rotating line of gins. The new one is going to be called Flora Adora, uh, based on botanicals pulled from the Master Distiller's Garden. All right, some whiskey releases to cover really quickly. Sealbach, man, I don't know if any of you guys are on like the Sealbach email list and you get these things. Uh, the latest and final release, thankfully, in there. Maryland Heritage Rye Collection. Uh, this is a bottling called BPR. It is a 95.5 Mash Bill, bottled at 108 proof, aged for 12 years in Indiana, brought back aged for two years in Maryland. 275 bucks <sighs> for MGP Rye. I guess if you can find it, I and there's only 150 bottles so i get being limited drives up the price but being limited doesn't make it great or worth the money uh it just means that it's limited and somebody's going to be willing to pay more for that uh really really exciting jack daniel's 12 the latest release uh from them very very exciting it's going to be around 80 bucks ish i feel like when we're talking msrp now we have to put ish on the end of it uh because th- those formulas change state to state, um, but 80-ish on the shelf, 107 proof uh, using their mash bill of 80, 12, and 8. Uh, also, the 10-year batch two You know, a lot of people saw the Jack Daniels 12-year get released. They kind of missed the fact that there's a batch two of the 10-year coming as well, and that should be on the shelf for 70 bucks. Uh Both of these will be 70 Uh, 700-milliliter bottles, not 750s. Uh, Powers is adding a rye whiskey to their Irish whiskey lineup. I'm kind of excited because we're seeing a few more rye whiskeys coming out of Ireland. Uh, The Kilbegan that I reviewed on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits Whiskey Wednesday a month or so ago was fantastic. Powers is putting out 100% rye whiskey. It's going to clock in at 86.4%. Uh, eighty four point eighty six point four proof, not percent. Cheese that'd be a, a whopper. Uh, and MSRP ish thirty two to thirty five bucks on the shelf. Two exciting releases from Bushmills that we will never ever ever see. Uh, Bushmills twenty five year single malt. If anybody gets their hands on it, please, I would love just a taste of this. Uh, Bushmills announcing twenty five year and thirty year single malts. Their collection. This is going to be a yearly release. Uh, the 25-year is going to be bottled at 92 proof. There's only 1125 bottles globally. Uh it spends four years aging in bourbon sherry barrels, and then 21 years finished in port barrels. And then they have a 30-year that's going to be bottled at 92 proof, 675 bottles globally. Uh, Going for a cool $2,200 a bottle. And it spent 14 years aging in bourbon and sherry barrels. And then the last 16 years getting finished in PX sherry barrels. That is the one I want to taste. Exciting for me, Rebel. Rebel 100 has been one of my favorite house bourbons for a few years now. For 20 bucks, 100 proof. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, they're adding a Rebel Hundred Rye to the lineup, um, so look forward to that. Hopefully, I'll have some in store soon, uh, and I'll get to review that for you guys. And here's another term uh, that I read a lot about when I, I, you know, sort of read all my trade emails is innovation. You know, our innovation is we're innovating. You know, our latest innovation. Innovation is just a marketing word for line extension and stick it to the customer with a price increase to pay for research and development to create a new product. And the latest innovation from Proximo, uh, which is a company that owns Bushmills and Proper 12 and uh, Jose Cuervo and some other brands, uh, the latest innovation from Proper 12 is they're releasing an Apple whiskey. I may have talked about this before, but the innovation term is just a term that I'm getting really tired of hearing because every time I hear innovation, I think of my customers and the extra dollar they're spending for all these bottles to pay for all this innovation, uh, quote unquote, research and development, uh, brand extension, line extensions. And with the proper 12 Apple, here's the thing. Like when you innovate, you know, Thomas Edison was an innovator. Tesla was an innovator, uh, Edward Mybridge was an innovator. People who created something that wasn't there before or took something and made it better. Uh, There are plenty of innovators. Proper 12 Apple is not an innovation. Uh, Jack Daniels makes an apple. Jim Beam makes an apple. Crown Royal makes an apple. You you copied something. You did a line extension. You are not innovating. You didn't do anything amazing and creative. Uh, You just created an Apple whiskey of which there's already been a bunch of Apple whiskeys uh, that are already out there on the market. So innovation to me uh, means one less dollar in the pocket for you. Uh, And that frustrates me Uh, (laughs) to no end. All right. I got to catch my breath, figure out what I'm drinking next and what I'm going to talk about next. Uh, Whatever it is, I'll be back here in a minute. So uh, go grab a glass and uh, yeah, meet me back here. All right, I'm back. Here we are. Spirits Guide Podcast, Season 3, Episode 10 Warm Weather is Coming. And I told you guys, uh, I don't have a a script for this episode. Uh, It's just been kind of a a weird, weird week. So I I don't, (laughs) to the point where. You know, a couple hours ago, my girlfriend asked me, uh, "When you go to record today, what what's this week's podcast going to be about?" And I was like, "I have no, no clue, no idea where I'm going with this." Uh, so I'm just gonna ramble, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, you know, we just talked about the, this whole high noon tequila soda vodka soda thing, and somebody on Instagram had actually. Uh, posted a comment about liking vodka soda better than the the seltzer. And it did sort of bring up the, the thought to me of there is a difference between a vodka soda and a vodka seltzer. Um, and then it kind of gets blurry with all the hard seltzer and vodka soda. Uh, but for anybody who doesn't realize, vodka soda and vodka seltzer are, are two totally different things in that Seltzer water is just water with carbonation pumped into it. Whereas soda water gets its carbonation from bisodium carbonate, uh, which gives it sometimes a touch of salinity. So they are two different things. And I guess I, I just never really thought of that in that whole sort of vodka soda hard seltzer world. Now, I don't know if they're actually using real soda water or seltzer water, or they're just putting water in and carbonating it or what they're actually doing with high noons and trulys and white claws and canteens and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, just sort of as an aside, there is a difference between the two. All right. What are we going to do here? Oh, let me grab a glass from my magic table of glasses, all different shapes and sizes, you know, with summer coming, uh, it, you know, it's getting time to start cracking out our tequilas and our Mezcals and our gins and our rums. Not that we're ever giving up on whiskey, uh, but some of these other sort of things that are traditionally a little bit more summery. And Mezcal is one of them. And that's what I've got right here. I got this sample this week from uh, a rep who was in trying to sell me on this. So this is going to be a yay or nay tasting really Uh I'm going to taste this live, give you guys my thoughts, uh and decide right here right now if I'm actually going to bring this into my store. This is Banez Mezcal. Now, when you're you're looking at a mezcal label and I keep hearing, you know, mezcal is is huge and it's growing and yeah, you know, when when this particular rep came in and he said uh, you know, mezcal's a growing category and I went, well, yeah, because 5 years ago there was like 3 brands of it uh, on the market and now there's 15. So, you know, you've got 500% growth. Uh that you know, the total number of mezcal sort of drinkers out there is still pretty pretty small and marginal. Um but when you're growing from zero, and you get to ten, you know that's a thousand percent growth. Um, it's still not a ton. Uh, it's just sort of how you kind of skew those statistics. But really, what you're looking for on a mezcal bottle is a few things. Uh, you're looking for uh, the terms either artisanal or in- ancestral. Um, yeah, ancestral, not ancestral, because that's just weird and gross um and those are signs of quality uh you're always looking for you know what the mcgay is which is the type of agave now to be clear all tequilas are mezcals but not all mezcals are tequilas Uh, mezcal is a spirit made from agave plants tequila can only be made from one specific agave plant that is the weber agave or blue agave Uh, We've talked about this before, and you're always looking for 100% agave on your tequilas. On the Mezcal, you're looking to see if they list uh, the type of agave. And the most common one that I see is a species of agave called Espadine, uh, but you might see Espadine and Barrio. Uh, I've got one that I'm going to taste in a little bit that's got a, a totally different strain that I had never even heard of or seen before. Uh, and some of them will actually have uh, some other info on there. This one has the term Hoven, J O V E N, which in the language means young. Uh, so it's typically mezcal aged up until two months. After two months, it can then qualify to be a reposado tequila. Uh, it could be a blend of two month old tequila and in silver tequila. But whatever it is, it's all under two months. Um, so this one here, Banes, it's a Hoven tequila, 100% McGay, which is important. Uh, that means no other sort of sugar sources. Uh, you don't ever want to buy anything that says Mixto on it uh, because they're using other sugar sources to create the alcohol. And this is uh, Espadine and Barrio uh, as the agaves. And this is on a 50 milliliter, but, and it's kind of printed in almost microscopic ink. Terrible for my eyes. Um, but we're clocking in at 84 proof. So 42% alcohol. Now, a lot of the production methods used in mezcal uh, tend to involve roasting the agave. So cooking it, sometimes they're using burnt tires for some of the, you know, other inferior ones sometimes they bury the agave in the ground like you would for like a clam bake you know you you put everything in the ground cover it with hot coals bury it let it cook for its allotted time and then dig up the agave and press them that way and because of that um a lot of mezcals tend to have a smokiness to them and i know this scares some people off i was just talking to uh, a couple of you guys this past week because I tasted some amazing mezcal, and you know, kind of the the immediate response I get is like, yeah, I don't like the smoke. Mezcal to me is kind of on a level with like Scotch, where people get kind of frightened off with Scotch, and we talk about this with like the American single malt. People see American single malt, they see single malt, they see single malt, they think Scotch, they think Scotch, they think smoke, and that's not. True for all scotch. Uh, it's pretty typical of scotch from the Islay region or Isla region, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be smoky. They just typically are uh, from that region. Mezcals, because of the nature of how they're made, yes, can be very, very smoky. But a lot of the newer offerings that I am tasting, that I am seeing, they're dialing back some of that smoke to make it a little bit more accessible. Plus in Mexico, there are no rules against adding sugar, uh, sort of post distillation. So you got to kind of do some research and some homework as to who is adding things to the Mezcal. Um, but they're not all like this smoky, chemically burnt tire, uh, kind of flavor. And there are plenty of people who do like that flavor, but they're not all like that. So If you've had one Mezcal and you're like, oh, no, it's too much smoke. It tastes like campfire. It tastes like burnt rubber. Uh, I promise you, they don't all taste like that. All right, let's get into this Banez. B-A-N-H-E-Z. This is not in my store if you're a, a Wachusett Wine and Spirits customer. It may be in time. Let's see how this goes. Now, on the nose, it's definitely got that big sort of smokiness. It's not like a peat smoke. It really is like a a chemically, almost burnt rubber kind of smoke. And you get a little bit of sort of the, the vegetal nature of the agave underneath. All right, here we go. Nothing wrong with that. It's really good, sweet, smoky. You know, it doesn't taste chemical, but it does have a a nice sort of smokiness to it. So if you are one of those drinkers out there who likes a, you know, Ardbeg, who likes a Lagavulin or a LaFrogue and want something similar and a little lighter body to drink in the summertime, this is definitely your jam. And, you know, probably a little bit more affordable and, and, you know, approachable, uh, from a price point standby, um, and availability wise, uh, than a lot of your scotches at this point. And these, you know, there's a lot of things that I taste because I taste everything. Um, you know, whatever sales reps or or brand reps put in front of me, I, you know, (laughs) I'm like, Bourdain on no reservations. You know, he'll just eat anything once, whatever it is. Um, I will taste any spirit at least once. And sometimes you taste things that aren't really meant to be drank on their own. And I'm not saying Mezcal isn't meant to be drank on its own, but it does have a great place in cocktails. Obviously, it changes the way you're going to consume a margarita. You can make margaritas with smoky Mezcals. And all of a sudden, you've got like these smoky margaritas, uh, palomas, which is a cocktail typically made with tequila and grapefruit juice and soda water. I just cheat and get some polar grapefruit dry, uh, soda and in, in like a wedge of lime. Something about smokiness and grapefruit that really, really pairs well. So even if you don't like this on the, its own, it makes a great paloma. It makes a great sort of spicy smoky margarita you know you could cut your margarita half mezcal and maybe half tequila or like a ghost tequila or a 21 seeds jalapeno tequila or a tanteo uh jalapeno tequila so you could get like a spicy smoky margarita out of it uh if you take a little bit of like chili salt, and you can find recipes online on making chili salt, or even like a Bloody Mary Bloody Mary rimmer, uh, that salt, put that around the, the rim of the glass. Take a slice of grapefruit or a slice of orange, throw it in the glass, and throw some mezcal over the rocks. The saltiness, the spiciness of the rimmer, the citrus, and then the smoke just makes a beautiful, beautiful drinking experience. Yeah, uh, you know, in the yay or nay thing, I mean, is it good? Yeah, is it worth the money? I think it's around 45 bucks in the shelf, which is pretty much the going rate for good Mezcal. Uh, it's a great-looking package, even though this is the 50 ml version. Um, still a great-looking package, uh, no doubt. Yeah, at some point, this will make its way into, into my store. All right. I like this. We're just going to drink a whole bunch of Mezcal. All right. I got one more uh, silver Mezcal here. And this is uh, Zacala. Z-I-C-A-L-A. Mezcal. Um, mezcal Artisanal. Uh, made with the Espadine McGay. This one is 86 proof. So 43% on the ABV. So, you know, obviously the best way to consume spirits. I see right away on the nose. This is a lot less smoky okay. than the Bonas. These couldn't be two more different mezcal's. So yeah, obviously the best way to you know consume spirits is with friends, and man, I feel like over the past couple of weeks, you guys have been awesome. Either dropping off samples. Well, coming by with bottles, uh, thank you to my friend Glenn for bringing by the the Middle West whiskey uh, and letting me taste that. Wow, I stand by that. That is my new favorite ride. I've I've got to try a few of you guys on it, uh, and it's nice to see that you guys kind of agree. Uh, Just as sort of a side note, all these guys who post on Instagram about good find today and they're posting up pictures of eagle rare and blantons and e h taylor and all the cliche bottles that these guys are probably never even going to open but they want to gloat that they found something man what cliches! i it almost becomes like laughable and annoying at the same time to see these posts on instagram good find today good haul today yet you're chasing the same thing that Everybody else is chasing. You're a cliche. I love, personally, when somebody comes in and goes, I found this. This was my good haul for the day. And it's something like a Middle West spirits, where every one of you guys that I have tasted on this. Um, and Glenn, if, if you're listening, I, I know you left the bottle with me to take care of, but I have shared it out amongst some of the masses. And the sort of universal response, which got me excited, was like, Wow, I've never heard of this. I've never seen any press on this. This whiskey is amazing. That's the fun part of it. Find something that nobody else is finding. Stop being a cliche and going out and try to find the same thing that everybody else is trying to find because everybody else is trying to find it. Be original. Um, It's the sort of Bourdain philosophy of I'd rather fail at doing something interesting than succeed at doing something boring. And all of you guys out there chasing Eagle Rare, Blantons, Taylor—I'll uh, talk about this more in the next segment. Of just uh, you know, you're, you're you don't even know why you know people coming into the store going, "Do you have any of that bourbon trace stuff?" You don't even know the name of it. You know, I don't even know why you're looking for it. Um, it it's so kind of uh, cliche. I digress. I get knocked off track here. All right, so back to the Zacala Mezcal. And like I was saying, the best way to enjoy spirits is obviously with other people and having conversations, but we don't always get to do that. And sometimes, you know, you're just kind of relaxing at home, maybe watching some TV, maybe reading a book. Uh, My nice haul was I spent the day at Barnes & Noble shopping and picked up a bunch of cool books by uh, Bukowski and uh, had to rebuy a copy of... Jim Carroll's basketball diaries, which I've read three times, just an amazing piece of work. And then I found a biography of Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I haven't dug into any of them yet, but that was my nice haul uh, for the day today, going to the bookstore and finding interesting books about interesting people. Um, but yeah, over the last week, you know, I've watched a couple of things on TV that were kind of good companion pieces to just sitting down kind of letting the world fade into the background and kind of getting lost uh, in some visual arts. And the first thing, and I I pointed this out to my friend Peter Thomas, who texted me that night, was like, wow, that was amazing. And it was a documentary. This actually came out a few years ago. uh, It was called The Wrecking Crew. And it's about a band of studio musicians who were around in LA in the 60s and 70s. And they were basically the studio band... For every great album that was made in California, uh, I don't know, for 10, 15, 20 years, including almost all of the Beach Boy albums. Uh, And anybody, you know, I've had people, I tell that story too, and they they look at me and go like, "Ah, that seems kind of bogus. And then when you watch the documentary and Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys is there talking about how easy it was to just get these absolute professional studio musicians come in put down the music he wanted, and then teach the band that music afterwards Uh, just kind of proves that that's the way it was done in those days. And it truly is fascinating. And it's fascinating to watch these guys who were just absolute professional musicians, top of their craft skill-wise, talk about they had no passion for it. They didn't really care about it. They were just really super smart musicians who weren't, you know, invested in anything other than I need a job. I need to f- pay my bills, make my mortgage. You know, raise my kids, and that's what they did, and they did it at an incredibly high level. And they are the the backing music for all these great, great songs. Yeah, it's it's just a, a fascinating look at at music history and the way that it used to be done, and and sadly. Uh, and this has been a thought just kind of going through my head a lot lately of, you know, where we are now as far as music and spirits and, and all these things and <laughs> St. Patrick's Day and how far we've gotten away from what it originally was. You know, like I, I feel like when you you look at music now, like it's created on computers and and auto tunes and and things like that. And these guys were musicians making real sounds with real instruments. Um, And they would talk about how they, you know, then make an album in a day and they'd work with four different artists in a day. Just go in, get the song, create the music, lay it down onto the next thing. Absolutely fascinating that that happened in that time. Um, And then a little bit of sadness in the end to see how some of those guys ended up, uh, after kind of doing it all those years, but just a great piece of music history. Uh, and you just, you know, you just kind of sit there and watch it. Like, wow, this is really, really cool. Uh, especially, you know, from my age and in, in up of like how sort of relevant those songs were to our childhood and our lives growing up and to get like the actual backstory. And it's great. You know, for those guys to get their credit and their due, because, you know, when you look on the back of a Beach Boys album, it's, you know, Brian Wilson and his family and, and all the, the guys in the band are the ones getting all the credit. But the people who actually made the music never got the credit. Uh, so this is also sort of a nice piece of recognition uh, for them as well. All right, let's try this Zakala. it's nice it's rich it's viscous there's a really nice sweetness there it really does coat the palate it's a lot of like a lot of vanilla notes there like vanilla frosting like subtle marshmallow the smoke is dialed way way back it's almost like the smoke is there to keep Everything in check, yeah, that is fantastic. Um, that is also not on my shelf, but it will be soon. Um, yeah, so Zakala, so actually, not bad. Two for two, Bonnie's and Zakala Mezcal coming to a store managed by me near you soon. <laughs> All right, and the other. Sort of thing that I watched this week, which is the total opposite end of the spectrum. In full admission, I may have uh, had a medicinal uh, gummy treats uh, before I sat down to watch this cinematic masterpiece. Uh, I'm going to call this info up on my phone to make sure I get this all out there because uh, this movie should win movie of the year and then every... Lifetime Achievement Award should be named after this movie going forward. Um I just want to make sure because I want to list the cast of this just unbelievable movie. I, I feel like I need to pour more Mezcal for this. I'm gonna pour uh yeah, more of this Zakala. Oh, all right. All right. So the movie <laughs> in question. That I think is it's the greatest bad movie ever made, without a doubt. I am talking about Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that. Cocaine Bear. This is a movie that I first saw the trailer for on Instagram, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I don't believe this is a major studio movie. Cocaine Bear, based in very, very, very small part on a true story of something that really happened. And it was about a a guy who was a pilot uh, who was trafficking cocaine over like uh, somewhere around Tennessee, Georgia. And they were dumping bags of cocaine off this plane into the woods. uh, And then the guy would parachute out. And then, you know, there's a whole sort of drug trafficking ring probably had something to do with Pablo Escobar, uh, considering <laughs> the time that it really happened. And, you know, the movie kind of centers around this this story that came out of it of, you know, and there's a legit legit news reports of like this plane that fell out of the sky. All this cocaine is scattered all over the woods. And, you know, in, in the real story is that there was a bear that got into it and then they found the bear dead with, you know trace amounts of cocaine in its system. Well, the movie elevates that to a whole nother cinematic masterpiece level of a bear just finding kilos of Coke in the woods and ingesting it and getting just all amped up and running through the woods and murdering people. And it's, it's, it's cinematic genius. Now, if you're thinking like, wow, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. I need to point some things out. This was directed by Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks is a legit Hollywood actress who has made, you know, yes, Cocaine Bear, uh, but Charlie's Angels, Pitch Perfect 2, Zack and Miri make a porno, walk of shame, uh, Man on a Ledge, Hunger Games. Elizabeth Banks has done a lot of legitimate Hollywood movies, Spider-Man, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Yeah, all the Hunger Games. Just kind of looking through uh, her, uh, her, her movie resume here. Role models. You know, she's been in a ton of movies as a legitimate Hollywood person. She directed the movie. So, all right, there's some legitimacy to it. Um, all the other, let me find the the cast here just to kind of give you a breakdown. Ray Liotta in one of his last movies is in Cocaine Bear. Kerry Russell, who was on a show called The Americans, who was Felicity, uh, back, you know, years ago, um, O'Shea Jackson, who is Ice Cube's kid, um, uh, Margot Martindale, who's just a face that you've seen in plenty of other places. Uh, Christopher Hivju, who uh, was in Game of Thrones and is also the Irish guy or Scottish guy on the 1923. Oh, my God. The Yellowstone origin story. He's on that He was in Game of Thrones. Like there is a legit cast to this movie. It is shot in a way where you're like, this is ridiculous, but the acting is unbelievable. Like I just kept watching this going like, how do these people read the script? See how ridiculous this premise in the script is. And they play it absolutely straight. Um, Yeah. Have a few drinks Saturday night, date night, have a a gummy or whatever and sit down and watch cocaine bear. Uh, if you want a movie that will distract you from the real world, that is not going to make you think (laughs) that you can just kind of watch and you don't have to put any real effort into it. This is it cinematic genius. And every (laughs) lifetime achievement award in Hollywood going forward should be renamed the Cocaine Bear Award of Achievement. Uh, yeah, absolutely a ridiculous movie, but really, really well made in a fun, stupid way to spend a Saturday night for sure. Mm. Oh, yeah, man, that Zakala is so good. All right, I am going to take a quick break and I'm going to, drink we come back we're just gonna drink um and i'll probably ramble a little bit more about some of the ridiculousness uh in the world but i'm drinking some really good mezcal for the rest of the way so go grab yourself a glass uh meet me back here in a second as always unless you're driving in which case just wait a second and this will keep going Here we are, Uh, Season 3, Episode 10, Warm Weather is Coming, Spirits Guide Podcast. Warm weather is coming, I'm drinking Mezcal, and this is a completely unscripted, unprepared episode. I am honestly, I promise you, just kind of rambling off the top of my head, Uh, but I'm drinking some good Mezcal while we do it. Next, Mezcal up on the slate. This is a total wine brand one of their spirits direct products this is the sacrificio mezcal uh this is one that i learned about from my friend peter and you know again just what i love about what i do in this business in this sort of spirits world is these kind of connections and these discoveries that one of us makes and then gets excited and wants to share it uh with somebody else and you know this is something that when peter and i you know became friends and and we started talking about different spirits he's like i got this one you gotta try it it's a total wine brand i did i loved it and i went out and bought a bottle of it so again navigating the label uh 100 agave mezcal artisanal uh this is a reposado uh mezcal so reposado much like tequila Means it sits in an oak barrel for anywhere from two months up to a year. I'm looking on the label to see if it lists an agave. It is 100% agave. There it is. Espadine, again, probably the most common um, agave that you see used in sort of these more affordable uh, mezcals. So. Again, Reposado, so a couple months in oak barrels. It does have a little bit of color. It's not too dark. It's a little golden, uh, almost clear. Um, And on the nose, you definitely get a little bit of the wood. You get some vanilla, and the the smoke is really, really kind of subtle on the nose. So, I was kind of brought to, to ask myself this question of what does good mean? Uh, <laughs> I, I I had a customer in the store this week, and I, I get a lot of these kind of customers who are hunters and, you know, what do you guys got for good whiskey? Uh, everything, you know, everything. You know, it's not like I go like, all right, well, I've got some good whiskeys here. Here are the shitty whiskeys. You don't want, the, you know, like uh, – Everything is there because in some way, shape, or form, it's good and it's quality, but somehow good in the quote-unquote bourbon hunters uh, means allocated. And I had a customer in the other day who was kind of looking around the store and I you know, talked to him, you need help with him? No, I'm just looking. And then he kind of looks behind the, the register and he goes, ah, that's where the good stuff is. And it just struck me. Like, it, it hit me like if you walk by and just, stuck a pin in my shoulder and made me kind of jolt of what does that mean? What does it mean that all the good stuff is back here? Uh, It means all the expensive stuff is back there because, you know, I don't want it to get stolen or I don't want it to, you know, get knocked off the shelf by somebody's unattended child running wild through the store. So it's there for protective reasons. It might be there because it's expensive. Uh, It might be there because, logistically, I don't have space in the shelves on the floor. Uh, Perfect example, I just got some new riff into the store, which was available for the first time ever in mass a few weeks ago. Uh, So I brought it in because I wanted to have it in the store. It's a great whiskey. Uh, It was the first time it was available. That being said, I didn't have a single open spot of shelf space on the floor. So I had to put it behind the counter because I wanted to have it out presented somewhere. so if customers were in looking for it, they could find it or they could at least ask one of my staff if we carried it and it would be right there available for sale. Now it's not an overly allocated product. granted, it is a very good whiskey <clears throat> but I don't think it was good in the way that this customer was was looking for you know and then you ask like you know well, what are you looking for? Well, do you have any tailor? No Blanton's no Eagle rare. No Weller. No. Oh, you know, and like, then you, they just leave and don't buy anything. And I I put this video up uh, that somebody had sent me the other day. It's on the spirits guide, Facebook page. uh, And it was another retailer um, who put up a video of customers like that, who walk into the store and ask for Blanton's Blanton's gold. And when the guy says, yeah, no, we don't have any. And the customer just turns around and walks out. And he basically says, like, that justifies, one, telling you we don't have any uh, because, A, one, we don't have any. (laughs) And two, if we did, you were just going to take it and go flip it in the parking lot. Anyways, so it just kind of got me thinking of, like, what is that? What does good mean? Um, Because to me, when I walk my whiskey aisle, at least, and I see a baker seven year that's really good bourbon. When I see a Russell's Reserve 10-year, that's really good bourbon. When I see Knob Creek 9-year, that's really good bourbon. Uh, That's the good stuff to me. And by the way, those three whiskeys should be your barometer for what you are willing to spend on a product. You know, uh, when you look at something like a Fortuna, which I keep harping on because that was, you know, hyped and it was, uh, you know, it was this great whiskey that was coming in $75, $80 a bottle for, you know, six year juice, maybe. And I don't even think it says it on the bottle. And it, it was, it was, you know, one of the most underwhelming things I've ever tasted. And yet for a fraction of that price, you can get Baker's seven, which is a seven year single barrel, by the way, seven year single barrel. So that's older than Blanton's. And it's a single barrel that tastes different every time, unlike Blanton's. And the particular batch of Baker 7 that I have on my shelf right now is actually eight years and seven months. So it's almost nine years, at least eight and a half years, which is much older than Blanton's, uh, which is available. And it's 60 bucks. So it's cheaper than Blanton's. And it is a far better bourbon than Blanton's. uh, But people still want the quote unquote good stuff. Uh, And I know that's not you guys out there uh, because I know from talking to so many of you guys, we don't get wrapped up in that hunt anymore um, because it's just silly. And, you know, the more I get to talk to you guys in person and through messages of like, you know, we're all kind of realizing like this is ridiculous. Why am I chasing down these, quote unquote, good whiskeys when there is so much good whiskey? Again, Russell's Reserve, that's a 10 year bourbon. 10 years i don't have any quote-unquote good bourbon behind my counter that's 10 years old that i can sell for 40 dollars a bottle come on what is like what are these people basing the term good on um one of the things you always hear is like oh well it's 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 young whiskey all right well knob creek is nine years Russell's reserve is 10 years. Baker's is a minimum of seven years. Nothing young there. Uh, It's low in proof point. Baker's seven year is 107 proof. Uh, If you're going to tell me Russell's reserve at 90 proof is too low, there's something wrong there. If you're going to tell me that Knob Creek nine year at 100 proof, the proof is too low. Uh, what what's the problem with knob creek nine year hundred proof for 40 bucks why are we chasing all these quote unquote good whiskeys um and the reason being is again cliche you're chasing what everybody else is chasing because everybody else is chasing uh i don't make your own decisions uh you should be drinking some of these other whiskeys and that's the other thing is a lot of these customers who are looking for these uh what do you got This is what I've got. Uh, What do you got out back? As if there's some mystical back room where I'm hiding the quote unquote good stuff. But I point out things like, uh, well, you know, we've got bookers here on the shelf. Yeah, I've got two of those at home. I've got uh, Elijah Craig 18 on the shelf. Yeah, I've already got one of those. Uh, You know, talking to him, you realize like you're just a collector. You're not even buying it to drink. You're just buying it for status and validation. So you can put up a picture on Instagram about your nice haul this weekend. I'm sorry, again, I digress and ramble. I have just poured the Mezcal Sacrificio Reposado Mezcal. Two months, oak barrels, espadine. Here we go. Mm. Yeah, the wood changes everything. I'm going to assume it's probably ex-bourbon barrels, some sort of American oak. A lot of rich vanilla, almost like subtle butterscotch notes there, too. Fantastic. I also like this because it comes in a half bottle. So it's a 375 milliliter bottle. So if you go there and you're trying to navigate that total wine uh, minefield, this is a good one. And if you're curious and you want to try it, but you don't want to invest in a whole 750, or if you know you're just going away for the weekend and you don't need a whole bottle for the night or whatever, uh, it's good that it comes in those 375 milliliters. All right, the next one that I have for you, and I do have this one in my store. This is Zakaru. So we had Zakala earlier. This one is Zakaru. X-I-C-A-R-U. I don't know if there's any relation or some sort of. Mexican etymology there of XICA because the Cicala is the same thing. Uh the only difference being the last letters. This one is interesting, and I brought this into my store because it was the only mezcal like this that I had seen uh in an affordable price range. There are some other ones out there, not a ton though. Uh and this is an inyejo mezcal. Don't see that a lot. Uh so añejo, which roughly translates to aged. This is one year in oak barrels. And again, navigating the label, uh, Mezcal Artisanal. We're looking for that always. In Yeho, 100% McGay, so 100% agave. Espadine, again, the most common one there. And then right on the front, uh, conical stone oven. Uh, and What that means is they kind of bury the, the agave in the ground in a conical stone oven, cover it up. Uh, it's a tahona t- 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 crush now what a tahona is is if you picture two giant disks made of stone and they have mules or donkeys that walk around these disks and they spin them kind of like a like a roller it's a crusher and then you feed the agave in between those two disks and that's how you crush the agave so it's all crushed by stone by these You know, animals, donkeys or mules kind of walking around in circles using that to naturally crush naturally fermented. So open air fermentation, uh, wild yeast stimulates the fermentation, double distilled. This is one that sometimes you'll see on tequila uh, in sales reps. uh, Try to use this one. This tequila is double distilled to do this. And they go, yeah, well, all tequila is double distilled uh, as is all mezcal, uh, as far as I know. And I could be wrong on this, but everything I've read tells me that they're all double distilled. Why? Because of the sugar content in the agave, which is what you need to create alcohol, is not high enough for you to distill it once and get enough alcohol out of it on that first distillation. So you need to double distill it basically what happens with distilling is you're cooking this liquid and you're evaporating the alcohol out of that liquid. It goes up through a tube. It collects in a cooling coil and collects on the other side. So you take this base liquid and then on one side is the liquid. On the other side is alcohol. Now that alcohol on the other side will still have some water in it and whatever. And it might be 30% alcohol. When you take that and then you distill it again, your percentages go up, and now you end up with maybe fifty percent alcohol. Uh, from everything I've read, like agaves, you know, through double distillation, don't get above like a hundred, maybe hundred and seven proof, and then they proof from down to bottling proof. So almost every tequila or mezcal is double distilled. It, it's not really a feature; it's a necessity uh, to get the alcohol up high enough for bottling proof. All right. Obviously, this being Añejo, a year in oak, uh, much more oak influence on the nose. Mm. And I almost feel like with this one, the smoke is dialed up. That sort of chemically uh, flavor is a little bit stronger in the middle on this one than it was on the Sacrificio or the Zacala. That being said, because of the bigger oak presence and the, the longer aging of the base agave spirit, that that sort of smokiness needs to be dialed up a bit just to keep everything in balance, because I feel like the oak influence or the extra age and the flavor of that on the base spirit would have gotten out of hand. So everything on this is dialed up. This is a very stylish and sophisticated mezcal for sure. Uh, and one of the few añejo mezcals um, that I have seen, it's the only one that I work with currently at my store. Mm. (sighs) Yeah, all right. I got one more here, and I saved the best for last. You know, last week I tasted my new favorite rye whiskey in that Middle West. I also tasted my new absolute favorite (sighs) Mezcal. And this, oh, this is a gem. Uh, This is Villa Suso. This is a Hoven, again. So it's labeled as a young mezcal. Uh, so there might be some, some part of this blend that's up to two months old. Uh, these guys have been making mezcal since 1930, right here on the label. And this is the coolest bottle too. Uh, the it's a black bottle, but it's actually clear underneath the labeling. And you can see on the sides of the bottle, there's a clear stripe down, which allows you to see how much you have left, <laughs> which may or may not be a good thing. Because when I brought this bottle home, I think I drank half the bottle the other night. Um, and I can see that clearly through the glass. Uh, so whew, that was uh, tough. But you can also see that the glass has all the little bubble pockets in it that let you know that it's actually hand-blown glass. Uh, the rest of it, again, jet black. There's like a female sugar skull, uh, which is kind of like that Dia de los Muertos mask right there on the front. Mezcal Artisanal, Villa Suso, Hoven. Um, It's got the name of the the area that it comes from, which I cannot pronounce. So I am not going to try to do that. On the back of the label, tons of transparency on this. Uh, It tells who the Mezcalero is, which is basically the master distiller, uh, which is Pedro Valdez. Category mezcal artisanal uh the agave maturity eight to ten years so a fully mature agave type of oven it's a stone oven a type of mill it's a tahona. type of still copper pot still comes from san felipe and a state that i can't pronounce (laughs) and the species of agave is wild salmiana i have never seen that before It is apparently a much rarer species of agave. And uh, proof point on this one is 80 proof. Perfect and dangerous because at 80 proof, you can just, oh boy, knock these back. So when the rep came by to taste me on this, as soon as he opened the bottle, I went, oh my. And he was a couple feet away from me and I could smell it as soon as he opened the bottle. And I'm getting that right here. Now, what made this special and intriguing to me? They don't smoke the agave. They steam it. Which I had never thought of because I think we all think that, you know, the agave has to be smoked to be mezcal. And we all think of mezcal as a smokier version of tequila. Not necessarily the case. The only thing that makes mezcal mezcal is that it's made from agave. Tequila can only be made from one agave. Mezcal can be made from... Over thirty different species of agave, and again, this is the only one I've seen with this particular species. But the nose is got like this cool, funky kind of vegetal. It's like vanilla, but then like jalapeno. It, it there's some green, like herbaceousness there. Oh man, oh, I. Yeah, this is fantastic. Wow. The body on this. The herbaceousness on this. I mean, it's just coating the tongue with herbs. Like, there's almost like a hint of basil and... uh, yeah, just other sort of green herbs, but hints of vanilla, but not not the vanilla frosting uh, that I had on the Bonise. And The mouthfeel, this is like whole milk in the mouth, like it's just rich and big and viscous. And uh, it, this one, you know, when you're doing the breakdown, is it good? Yeah, it's right around fifty bucks on the shelf. Is it worth the money? Absolutely. One, if you're a Mezcal fan, you might not have ever seen this species of agave because, like I've read off, almost all of them, sort of the most basic in the affordable price range are all Espadin, maybe some Baril or Tobala, but uh, I've never seen a wild Salmayana. I I have Mezcal agave charts. I've never seen Salmayana even on that chart. Uh, So you talk about the uniqueness of it. Uh, The bottle starts a conversation. Everything about this is perfect. This is my absolute new favorite uh, mezcal for sure. And you talk about, you know, we're kind of joking about like ranch water. And this, this with some soda water and a piece of citrus fruit, either a grapefruit or an orange would be perfect. This You know, in any of these Mezcals, again, when you're looking at cocktail applications, uh, anything you would make gin with, you could substitute gin with Mezcal, Uh, especially this one, the Villa Suso. I would use this in a Negroni. I would use this in a French 75. I would use this in a bee's knees. It would be fantastic in all of those gin cocktails. I use this in like a last word, you know, like just as a fun little twist. This I I can't rave about this Mezcal enough. If you're out there and you like interesting spirits, if you like Mezcal, if you're scared of Mezcal because you think it's too smoky, this is a winner, Uh, you know. I only talk about it if I really do believe in it. I believe this is fantastic, and I, I sort of my my proof and always my validation is when I have something that's kind of oddball, and you know, you guys try it based on my thoughts and my recommendation, and then you come back and you go like, "Whoa, that was awesome!" Thank you. That's you know, kind of my validation and my my happy place for me. And when this came in. I tasted it with Corey, uh, who is my partner on the Wachusett wine and spirits podcast and and videos. We do the whiskey Wednesday videos and you know, we tried it when it came in and Corey took the bottle home that night. Uh, when I saw him the next day, he said that mezcal said, yeah, it was pretty awesome. He goes, I think I drank a, a, a little bit. I was like, I drank half the bottle. He goes, yeah, I think I did too. Um, because it's the kind of thing that, especially at 80 proof, uh, you can sit down, you know, kick your feet up, throw on cocaine bear, and just rifle these back. It is so, so delicious. Just such a great drinking experience that I don't care if this is a mezcal, a tequila, or a gin, or whatever it is. It's just something that tastes good in the glass. It's enjoyable to drink. It's versatile. Makes great cocktails. Uh, this is my my winner Of the whole thing. Uh, They were all great Mezcals. But this Villa Suso uh, is my new absolute gem of Mezcal. All right. Wow. Uh, For not being scripted, I certainly found a way to ramble for an hour and a half. Uh, And thank you guys for sticking around and still being here and listening. I appreciate it more more than you can possibly know. Oh, man. I, I wish you guys could smell this through the podcast. um, I will probably bring this bottle back to work uh, just so if you guys are around and you want to come by and taste it, or if you want a sample of it, you know, shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram, or email me spiritsguide89 at gmail.com and say, Hey, I'd like to try that. I'll do up a little 50 ml sample and get it to you. uh, As long as you're close by and over 21, I'll do everything I can to share this with you because in the end, as much as it's cool to sit around drinking Mezcal and watching Cocaine Bear, uh, the best part of all of this is getting to share it with other people. Whew. All right, I'm going to wrap it from here. Thank you, guys, as always, for taking time out of your lives to hang out with me. Uh, I appreciate it, as always, more than than I can express. Uh, I will be back on Thursday doing a TNT Thursday night tasting It's going to be a fun one. Uh, I'm really excited to dive into this one. I'm going to be drinking chartreuse on Thursday. uh, Green and yellow doing a little compare, contrast Thursday night tasting of what is my favorite kind of cordial, uh, favorite herbal liqueur, whatever you want to say. Uh, What a great, great story. Uh, Absolutely delicious liquid. So I'm going to be back on Thursday uh, tasting that. And... Oddly enough, I had never tasted the yellow chartreuse before. uh, So it's going to be fun to dive into that uh, and taste and compare the yellow and the green. uh, And maybe we'll throw in the vegetal as well. So, uh, yeah, you guys know the deal. If you're still here by now, you're still listening, you like what I'm doing. uh, Go to the podcast page, click the follow button, give it a five star rating. Share it out on your social media. Uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram uh, where you guys know I'm posting things that I'm drinking, reading, listening to uh, all the time. And it's actually what I'm doing. I sometimes wonder if these nice haul guys are either just taking pictures that somebody else has taken or they're using stock photos. I wonder if they uh, where do you go where you find, you know, a bottle of Weller, a bottle of Blanton's, a bottle of E.H. Taylor, a bottle of Old Rip all in the same weekend. Uh Either you're spending hundreds of dollars in gas or you didn't actually do it. You just want to kind of look cool and say that you had a, a nice haul this weekend. Um, everything that I post, I am actually tasting, reading, listening to, drinking, whatever it is. And if it isn't, then I'm going to put it up there that I saw this and I'm not actually getting to taste it. But it's all real, all me. I promise you that. Um, yeah, so you can message me through both of those platforms as well. And for anything else, you can reach me at the spirits guide 89 at gmail.com. All right, guys, have a great week. I will be back to talk to you on Thursday. Cheers. Yay.